All right, here we go. Evening, Andrew. What's up, Brad? Not too much. Welcome to episode 125 of What Off Topic. So, uh, Conquest is back together, I hear. Define back together. Well, it moves now on its own power. It does move on I don't its think own we power. covered between the other episode. No, well, maybe we did. We it, talked about fixing the brake line. We talked about getting the wrong clutch. Right. That's where we ended it. Right. And then I got really sick with a head cold. So then my uh, dad helped you put the car back together. Mm-hmm. And it now moves. It at least moves one foot forward and one foot backwards. I haven't driven it, driven it yet. Mm-hmm. So we'll get there eventually. Way better than it was before. So that it totally was the clutch. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like, no question. Yeah. But it's got new clutch, got new clutch hydraulics. Yep, so that's one good. less thing to worry about. Um, yeah, you just got to double check the brakes because they seem to be sticking. So I'm going to drive it up the street a few times, I think, and see exactly if maybe they're just sticking from sitting and they'll maybe free up a little bit because it potentially could happen. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, you can also pull all the slides and lube them up. Mm-hmm. So, and flush all the fluid out of the entire system. We thought the car needed an engine. Yeah. Because it was making a bottom end noise. Yep. I didn't think it sounded that bad. You didn't think it sounded that bad. No, especially we when it came maybe, off the trailer. Right. Because. We thought maybe it was a top end noise. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But it sounded like normal valve train noise, mechanical right. valve train. Maybe a little louder than normal. Mm, not even. To me, it didn't. Well, the car has hydraulic lifters and stuff, so. Okay. It shouldn't, it shouldn't it, make that kind of noise. No, it's to to me, my ears. It sounded normal. I've had a few of these cars. It sounded a little louder than normal. I guess. But it turns out that the noises we've been hearing the whole time were bits and pieces of friction material inside the bell housing. Now, I actually didn't hear that at all because at the point that it had come off the trailer, all the friction material had exited the clutch. But it was still sitting inside that housing, so that's what we were hearing the whole time. I didn't hear it at all. Oh. You, the one time you had it running off the trailer, I was like, this, there's nothing wrong with this engine. Right. So. I could still hear it, but it was pieces inside that bell housing. Maybe yeah. you weren't listening in the right place, but it was definitely there. Yeah. So the whole noise was the clutch coming apart. Yeah. So unbeknownst to us, the car was going to need a clutch, and the car needed a clutch. So obviously, last episode. But it's had, not an engine. No. <laughs> in fact, it's back together, running strong. Um. Last episode, we had the wrong clutch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't exactly know what the deal is. I think that the listing, most places, is wrong. Probably. Um, because I think it's for a non-intercooled car, and so there's it's a little not, bit smaller. Yeah, and then there's not enough of people buying these parts so to bother having it corrected. It's a known fact that the battery listings are wrong. Yeah. So the car is supposed to have a Group 58 battery, Yeah. and all the listings say Group 25. Which yeah. Group 25 is, like, really small. It doesn't make any sense to put in that car, because it's a huge spot for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but it's well known and documented that the listings are all just wrong, and they've never been changed. They were wrong in the 80s, and then they just never got changed. Correct. So, they're still wrong, but if you have a Conquest or a Starion, yeah, that, ha- that happens every now and then. It's It can be annoying. So, it's super important to... Especially on an older car that parts are hard to find for. Yeah. And you order a clutch and pay for shipping to get it to your house, and you take the car apart to put the clutch in, and then your clutch is wrong. Mm-hmm. But I did manage to source one locally. Um, actually, my local 
AutoZone was able to get me a Vallejo. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. So I called him up and I was like, all right, I need a clutch for this car. After and, they stopped laughing. Nah, they're pretty used to me by now. Um, so she goes, okay. She looks it up and she goes, all right, I have a, whatever AutoZone's brand is. Um, Duralast? Duralast, yeah. She's like, I have a Duralast I can get for tomorrow. It's $125. And I was like, is there any other brand listed? <laughs> I really don't want to put a Duralast clutch in. It's probably fine. It could be a Reebok Vallejo for all I know. But I just, I don't, I'd, I'd rather put a name brand part like that when it's something that is hard to change. Yeah. Like, if it's a battery, fine. Give me a Duralast battery. Brake pads, fine. Whatever. Ideally, on a Mitsubishi or most Japanese cars, an Exidi is the factory clutch. Yes. Unfortunately, there was no way to get an Exidi yeah. in a timely manner. They, a, they exist. Yeah. Or Exidi or Exidi, whatever it is. Just a fact for people. Yeah. They're hard to get. Um, not hard to get if you're prepared to get it, but if I'd wanted to get an Exidi, I would have gotten it earlier, but I'd already gotten the wrong clutch, which I think might have been... No, it was a Luke. Yeah. Um, but anyway, a Vallejo is a name brand. I'm better with a Vallejo. So I said, do you have any other name brands in stock? And she goes, well, I have a Vallejo. It's going to take, I'll have it tomorrow at like 2 o'clock. I'm like, that's fine. How much is that one? She goes, oh, that one's $78. And I was like, uh, yeah, please give me the name brand over the Dara last for $25 less. Yeah. <laughs> so I did get the Vallejo clutch for it, which makes me happy. So again, I don't know how well it's going to work. I'm sure it's going to work just fine. But it's in the car. It makes the car move. And so. the, the the main fuel line from the filter to the injector throttle body needs to be replaced. Yeah. So we thought it was the O ring. It's not. It was the O ring. And it was also the line. But the line is also seeping. Yes. Yeah. Where it crimps into the. Um. Do you find one, or I think we can I adapt. Found, yeah, I kind of forgot about it. Today. We can adapt to the DSM one I have because it's very very close. Very close. Yeah. All the fittings are the same too. Yeah. Um. Couple other things went through with the car when you, when I was I wasn't there when you took it apart because mm-hmm. uh, I had some family stuff going on. You had an issue taking the shifter out of the car yeah. because somebody had put a short shifter in it, yeah. and when they put the bolts in it, they had these like super long bolts with crazy spacers. But they one of them had twelve washers stacked up on top of them. The other one had a literal lug nut. Yeah, put on the bolt as a spacer with some washers. With some washers. Um, so I wanted to get rid of those, Yeah. obviously. Now, I found out the reason why they had those on there. Yeah. Because the aftermarket shifter, the short shifter that was in there, had a plate on it, like an aluminum plate. Yeah, it's thicker. It was much thicker than the factory thin sheet metal one. Mm-hmm. So obviously the factory bolts weren't long enough. So they used whatever they could find with the right thread. Thankfully, your father has quite a selection of hardware in the garage. Uh, and he has boxes of the 8mm metric bolts that I needed. So, you can put a short shifter in the... Raider. I wouldn't be able to reach. <laughs> uh, the problem, Lean over. I would have put that short shifter back in the car, except somebody modified the handle. To make it even shorter. To make somehow. it even shorter, and they literally cut the threads off and just jammed the shift knob on top. So if the short shifter was not hacked, I just would have put it back in the car. It would have been yeah. fine. But, so for now, it's got a factory shifter in it, which is not the end of the world. There's actually a couple of companies out there still producing short shifters for the car. So if I wanted one, I could put one in the car. It also didn't have the accordion boot anymore. It did not have the accordion boot. I imagine at some point in this particular car's life, it probably had a Crown Royal boot. Ooh. Looking, it's purple. Yeah. You should put one in. <laughs> I'm not going to, no. Uh, but look, I might. looking at the rest of the stickers on the car, the Hoonigan sticker and the couple of stickers that were on the car and some of the other parts that were on the car, 
I imagine that it probably had a crown the mark of a quality boot. build. It's a crown, a crown royal, royal boot. boot. Yeah, it's not. I will find an accordion boot for it because it's way cooler. Um, I do need to find an entire interior for the car. We talked about that before because the interior is kind of roached. It's the worst part of the car. Yeah. Every panel, every seat, everything has got some kind of damage on it. So rather than try to make it half work, I'd like to find a wrecked or a rotted car with a nice interior and uh, purchase the whole entire interior and swap it over. Ideally in maroon because the car has got a maroon interior. So maroon 88, 89. But I'm open to whatever. If anybody knows of anything local that we can rob parts out of. You just need a taillight. I have a taillight coming. Oh, cool. So no worries there. Um, so, fun fact. Front bumper cover? Or you just got to fix that I have there. a front bumper cover already. Um, so I don't need one of those. But I will need another one for other things. So I bet you I can. Whatever. I don't, I don't need one in emergency status. I have one. Yeah. I have a nice red one. So With a beam? No beam. Just use that beam. The beam in the car is fine. It's notched for the notched bumper, but yeah. it's still complete and it's not rusty. The problem is all of those beams in New England are rusty. Uh, so it's hard to find a good one. So you got to make one, which is not a big deal either. Anyway, so fun fact, car runs now. Went through everything. Um, started testing things in the car. Now that's running. Went to put the windows down. Window wouldn't go down. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's on lock because it has regular and lock, like a power window lock for mm-hmm. children. Not that there's any power windows that go down in the back. It's weird. But anyway, so it was on lock. So, oh, perfect. I switched it to normal and they still wouldn't go down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Turn the marker lights on. All the marker lights worked. Turn the headlights on. No headlights. No high beams. No fog lights. <laughs> no dash lights. Um, radio works. Um, no HVAC. It's got that electronically controlled heating system. Didn't, yeah. Didn't light up, didn't do anything. Hmm. So I'm like, this is probably not good. So because I've been dumb in the past and not gone to the fuse box first, I said, I'm going to check the fuse box. The fuse box has space for probably 15 fuses, mm-hmm. 16 fuses. It might have six in it. Weird. Yeah. So I'm assuming I have to find a lid because no, there's no lid for it, or at least a schematic for which goes where and what oh, size they are. I think I saw the lid on the other side of the interior the other Is day. Is it in there somewhere? Yeah. I haven't cleaned the car out yet. That was going to be my plan tonight, but it's running too late tonight. So Yeah, I think it's... I'll do that tomorrow. I think it's on the passenger seat. Okay, anyway, so I need to figure out what size fuses go and where and reload the fuse box because literally it has... A third of the fuses it should have. That's been. weird. It's very weird. So that's kind of annoying. Uh, there is some hacked up wiring. I already noticed. You can fix that. I assumed it was from stereo equipment because there was definitely a big stereo stuff in the car because mm-hmm. it has a huge red power cable that runs through the firewall. Yeah. So I assume most of the hacked up wiring I could see is that. Yeah. Also, the AC was removed from the car. So there's lots of dead ends of wiring there for that. Mm-hmm. And the big thing I figured out last night working on the car and actually talking to our friend Ron, who's also currently restoring his car, I was looking at it. We discussed this the other day that it had a normal, like, flex fan Yeah. in a shroud. Yep. But the clutch was gone. Yeah, it was just like a solid piece, like a hot rod part. Right. Do you know why there was no clutch? Because they took it off. Because there was never a clutch. They didn't have clutch fans in these cars? They had electric fans. What? So, if you look at the shroud, 
that's in the car. Yeah. It doesn't fit. What? There's these two big lugs on the back of the radiator. Yeah. That are in the way of the of the um the shroud around the fan. So did And on those lugs the electric fans go. So someone took like the shroud and like fan assembly off of like a raider or something? Yeah, some other some other Mitsubishi that had that assembly. Yeah, like the Sapporo has a clutch fan. Mm-hmm. As does a Raider. And these didn't have clutch fans. No, they didn't have clutch fans. <laughs> they had I thought fans. they did. They had two fans on the back of the radiator. So the white car doesn't have a clutch fan? Nope. I went and looked afterwards. Oh, yeah. That's it, 84. It's got a fan on the back and then a fan on the front, which is for the AC. So 88 would have had two fans on the back. Oh. Uh, and then one on the front for the AC. Hmm. So my assumption is when they pulled the AC out of the car... They might have damaged something and just ripped it all out and put a normal fan on there. Or the electric fan wasn't pulling enough air. So they took the condenser out, too? Condenser's gone, yeah. It's like... It literally... Okay, so for young car enthusiasts listening to this, Mm -hmm. don't waste time ripping air conditioning out of cars that aren't ever going to be like a true race car. No need for it. Like, it literally doesn't save you that much. You could it makes, if it, if it doesn't more work in the future. If it doesn't work, you could take the compressor out, right, and put it aside because that's kind of heavy. But everything else, just leave it there. I wouldn't even take the compressor out. I'd leave the compressor so you don't wind up losing it and all the hardware. Just put a shorter belt in the car. Yeah. Period. End of story. You going to do it anyway? Yeah. Nonetheless, rant over. So I need to find also a parts car that has the proper fan setup. Well, the car it's... needs a radiator anyway. Yeah, that's a great um, radiator though. It is a factory radiator. It's weird. It's leaking from the Peacock area. Yeah, it's just, I'm just going to replace it. Yeah. Um, it kind of corroded and green. I'll probably just get, they make an aluminum one that fits the car. It's That's not very much money. I figured that way to get the best amount of cooling for the car. And I'm not worried about the factory style fans not pulling enough air if it's an old crap radiator. Because possibly that's one of the reasons they changed it and put a more efficient mechanical fan on it, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, I need to fix it. So all of this sounds like the car is a giant piece of turd, but it's really not. It's really a nice car. The car has no rust. It's been painted at least once, not wonderfully. I'll take care of that, too. Um, but I'm pretty excited because the car is actually going to be pretty nice, I think, when we're done with it, without spending a ton of money on it. It's a good driver. I was thinking, I was putting the, you know, math, I was doing the math the other day of what I'm into the car for, and I'm literally into the car for less than $500. Including renting a trailer to go get it. Yeah. So, really can't complain. Nope. So that's a good thing. So it's it's coming along. I'll uh, do some electrical work tomorrow. Put the fuses in. See exactly what's going on. Um, maybe I'll rip everything out of the interior just to see what I have. <laughs> exactly what I need. But I, I think an ideal situation would be to find an entire 88-89 interior from a different car. So Probably a... Were the um, were sunroofs common? Eighty-eight, eighty-nine are pretty common. Yeah. Try to find a new because they pop out, right? I think so. Try because the the seal looks pretty roached. So if you can find a decent sunroof, I'm not sure if that seal is on the roof or on the roof on the the sunroof. It's on the glass. On glass. Yeah. So I might be able to talk to a glass guy. He might have some kind of universal seal to put on there too. Oh yeah, because it needs a windshield too. Yeah. Talk to Brian. Is it hard to get windshields for cars like this? You know, I haven't had to, so I haven't had to since like 2004, 
See, it wasn't, it wasn't a problem then, but it's that, not 2004 anymore. That's my next greatest fear with these glass. cars, is yeah. glass. Because uh, ECUs, people can replicate mm-hmm. and build standalones. Mechanical parts, you can't find brake calipers, you can adapt something else. Yeah, and with 3D printing, you can make new trim parts. Yep. Uh, that's going to be a thing in the future. It already is a thing. Uh, it's going to be a lot more common. Yeah. But glass is really worrisome for like... Yeah, it's very expensive to make custom glass. Yes. Yeah. And you have to hope that they've got glass that's been sitting in a warehouse for 30 years. It's not broken. It hasn't been thrown away. Yeah. So that makes me more so more nervous in my earlier cars, like the 70s Colts, because those cars weren't well supported when they were new. I mean, I know uh, um, Rob Siegel, who I used to work with, plays mm-hmm. with a lot of old 2002s all the time. Right. Like, he's pulled windshields out of other 2002s to put them into 2002s. To save them, yeah. Yeah. Which is also a sketchy proposition. Yes. So. With piano wire involved. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's not ideal. No. Because it worries me because, like, the glass is really pitted. Mm-hmm. And I do drive it a lot, so it's entirely possible it could get a crack. Yeah, easily. And that would actually be a harder glass to take out of another car, because it's not as old style. No. Nope. It's more modern glass. Yeah, so it's epoxied in place. And it's not like, you know, you can buy a new glass for a 68 Camaro. You can buy a new glass for a 57 Chevy. Yeah. They're common. And then the way those are sealed in, it's usually like a rubber yeah. push-in seal. But what I'm saying is they make them now. Yeah. Because they're common enough. I mean, you can even probably buy a glass for like a 240Z. But you can't really buy it for a 78 Colt or a 90 Gallant. So that is definitely a... So product ideas is restoration parts for 80s and 90s cars. For sure. Um, yeah, so... I don't know how to make them, though, so don't look, nope, don't look but, at me. No, uh, <laughs> it's not, but it's not like that you specifically know how to make them. It's that you, you know how to, know how to connect... The people that know how to make them and build a supply chain for it. Can we 3D print glass yet? Uh, maybe out of like epoxy, like plexi or something. I don't think it'd be clear enough. It no. definitely wouldn't be glass. It wouldn't be resilient enough. No. But you know, you see like Lexan windows and race cars turn yellow pretty quickly. Well, you wouldn't want it in your street. They car. use plastic in airplanes. And they also turn yellow, don't they? Eventually. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe with technology. It'll, uh... Technology. Advance. Hopefully. But anyway, so that's where the... I keep calling it a Starion, but technically it's a Conquest. That's where the Conquest sits right now. The car sounds good, too. Yeah. It's got like, some weird aftermarket exhaust, right? Well, not weird, but it's like... I think it's actually an old HKS unit. Yeah. So I think it's a legit piece. It fits perfectly, and yeah. it's definitely made for the car. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's not a homemade exhaust. Yeah, it's got a nice dual tip. It looks part. Turbo sounds back. Good. Yeah, turbo back. It's got that... You can hear the turbo pretty pretty loudly, actually. Cool. It's got a little oh. bit of a tractor sound to it, but it's a little bit of a tractor motor, so... Yeah. Well, doesn't the car have a custom turbo, too? It's got what they... It's an older It's an older style aftermarket turbo. It's a modified exhaust side. Mm-hmm. They called it a 19C, was the Mitsubishi size. So it would have been a 16-something from the factory. Hmm. And it goes up to a 19C. I... I'm horrible with turbo trims and numbers and... I never heard of a 19C, so... It was common in the Starion Conquest, StarQuest community, probably in the mid-2000s, mm-hmm. so... It's got a... It's good for 300 wheel horse. 
It's got so half of a with more mods, obviously. Wideband system setup. It has the wideband O2 sensor in it. Yes. That's about it. It has the whole harness. Yeah. All you need to it, do is plug an AEM gauge into it or whatever. It looks like it's an AEM one. It is definitely an AEM one. Um, I know for a fact it's an AEM one because the kid who I got the car from has the AEM gauge, and he said if I buy a new AEM gauge, if I could ship him the wiring harness because he has the gauge, so he took it out of the car but forgot to take the wiring harness. Okay. He yeah. can he can just buy a harness. Yeah, well, whatever. You can you can buy the harness separately. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'm just You can actually buy the AEM one's not uh come to find out it's not the best one. No. For the money. You can buy a better one for about the same money. Alright. So whatever. like cut like tuning the Gallant, it's not great. You have to adjust for the variances in the AM where other ones don't need that. Okay. So I didn't know that when I got it way before I had ECM link. Right. Uh, if I were to do it again, I wouldn't get an AM. That's the other thing is I get a PLX. There's not really much of an like you can see the car how the car is running, but there's not much I could adjust. Yeah, um, it's it's good to monitor it. Yeah, you could you could play with a mechanical boost controller a tiny bit mm-hmm. without leaning out too much. To a point. It's, I don't know. It's a little sketchy, but you can do it without it. I don't plan on making huge horsepower out of the car anyway, but it'd be good to monitor it. Yeah. It needs rear axle boots. I think we talked about that. Those don't exist anymore. That sounds about right. Yeah. So another thing I was talking to our friend Ron about, because um, he just rebuilt his. So people have figured out that... And he used some... He measured them, mm-hmm. and then he went to the catalogs, and he found ones that were close. And I forget exactly what model it was, but it was some, some year Acura. Mm-hmm. Had a very similar boot, so he bought those boots, and he just finished putting them together tonight. Actually, they look really good. So, well, they're probably within like a millimeter, and then you're clamping them. Probably, down. yeah. It's fine. So, we'll have to rebuild those. Yeah. So, take them apart, clean them up, regrease them, repack them, put the boots on them. It's easy. It's not a big deal. Super easy. Yeah. I actually do that more often now than buy CV axles because, again, with these older cars, the listings for some reason are incorrect now. So they never want, used to be. But do you now want to they take are. that to another story? We'll sure. Get off of the conquest right now. All right. So, um, trigger warning alert: Radwood is coming up. Sorry, people that don't want to hear about it. Um, but Radwood and Austin is coming up. Yeah. And I'm driving there. Yeah. Um, my initial plan was to take my Sapporo. Yep. But I'm a little nervous about that now because of the salty weather up here. I don't want to drive it through the salt. Yeah. So when you originally said it, I was like, you know, it's in February. I know, but I was like, whatever, I'll get out of the salt real quick, and I'll just clean it and be good. But the more I think about it, the more it makes me nervous. So we'll see what happens. I have a second, well, I have a few Radwood Era, Radwood era cars, um, but I have a second Radwood Era car that's near enough to completion that I can get it done in the next couple of weeks. Um, I have that 97 Saab 9000, yep. which needs axles. Yep. <laughs> um, they're clicking like crazy. They've been clicking like crazy for a long time. Yeah, so they're beyond rebooting. So they're probably beyond rebooting and repairing. Um there's a few trim levels of Saab 9000s. Yep. The one I have is the second to last year, so it's a very late model, and it's a 9000 CSE Turbo 2.3 automatic. Mm-hmm. The listing for a 97 Saab 9000 lists two different axles, mm-hmm. and they're both listed for CSE turbos, mm-hmm. and they're not broken down between automatic or manual or any other reason for existence. Did you check any of the uh, local European 
parts, places? No, I didn't. Like FCP Euro? I did not. Maybe I should have. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at them, and the specs on them are, one of them was like, what did it say, 19 and a half inches, and one was like 19 and 9 sixteenths. Yeah, and I was like, what the hell I is that? I was like, that can't, that can't be a big enough difference to even worry about, first of all, because that's the compressed measurement. Yeah. So you know they have play because they go in and out when the car turns. Yeah. So if you have... It goes up and down. Yeah, if you have a sixteenth of a difference, like literally that's a sixteenth, it's not going to make a difference overall in the part. Um, so that does, that that didn't help me any good. And also, why is it not millimeters? Jerks. Especially for a European car. Yeah. Yeah, stupid. Because um, then anyway, how would you even measure a CV axle? You can't measure it. It's compressed compressed length. You'd have to... You have this worn out, beat up old axle. You're not going to be able to measure like the compressed length when it was new. It's not going to happen. Whatever. I don't care. So I can't figure out what the right one is. I can't figure out a difference in these two things. Both pictures look almost identical. The descriptions of both parts are identical. So I looked the listing up elsewhere. Same problem with the listings. I looked up elsewhere and it just said manual automatic. But I never even saw a difference from manual and automatic. Because there is no difference, turns out. And there is no difference left and right. Which they're at the equal length on both sides, yeah. which is cool. Um, so I called my local parts store. They weren't of much help. Um, <laughs> Why would they be? Whatever. I gave them praise on the Conquest stuff. So, um, And also, their axles were $200 a piece. <laughs> and these ones on, you know, Rock Auto were $49 a piece. Mm. <laughs> so Yeah, but they were $100 to ship them. <laughs> Actually, it was in eight days away. $13 ship them in seven days. I'll get to that part of the story in a second. Hold on. <laughs> so I wound up joining a... Facebook group today for a Saab 9,000 owners. Oh, boy. Yes. I went I went deep. Um, it was super helpful. It's like the most mature Facebook group I've ever been involved with. Probably because they're Saab 9,000 owners, mostly college professors. Yeah. So I went in there. I asked the question, like, very clearly exactly what I wanted. You didn't search first. I did search first. 100% I searched first. Okay. Definitely search first. I put axle in as a search, and every search that came up was car for sale needs axles. Car for sale, new axles. Wasn't any, there was no specifics or anything like that. So unfortunately, that didn't help. I did search. I did, I'm not a total noob. Um, two guys hits my question. The This is the frustrating part. So we, might, we, not, we might not even still be true. The later cars, so 96 to 98, yeah. with the 2.3, he said, look at the pictures. He goes, one of them will have a slightly larger, there's like, they call it a tripod that goes into the transmission. Yeah, it's the it's it's the way the... That's what it seats into. Yeah, the, it's a, a tripod joint. Yeah. Yeah, it's all CV axles are constructed basically in the same way. So the tripod joint, he said, if you look at it, one of them will have slightly larger ends on it. You oh. should be able to tell from the picture. So I pulled the picture up, and I can see, yeah, one of them does have a slightly larger end on it. He goes, okay, the majority of 96, 97, 98 Saab 9000s have the larger joint. He goes, <laughs> but it's not a rule. I was like, great. So it's one of those situations where if the car was built on a Tuesday after lunch and they found the old parts lying around, they might have used the old part and the old axle. So there's really no way to tell until you take it apart, I was told. <coughs> he said, but 
n- probably 98% of them use the larger style ones. So I took a gamble. I ordered the larger size ones. Um, if they come in in time, which they should, based on this next part of the story, and they're the correct ones, likely that car will go to Radwood, not the Sapporo. Because I'm not as concerned about it. So your shipping thing with Rock Auto? Yeah. It was $49 a piece, and it was $13 to ship them in seven days. Didn't want them in seven days. I want them for the weekend. So I went on Amazon. Amazon had them for $75 a piece, but did not have prime shipping. So it was $150 plus $25 to ship them. So it was even more money. So I went on eBay, and they were $60 a piece, and it was $10 to ship each one. So we're looking at 60 and 60, 120 plus 20. It was $140 to ship them, and that was three to five days. So I went back to Rock Auto, and I was like, well, how much would it cost to get them shipped DHL two days? And it was $40. But $40 was less than them shipped in five days from eBay. So I said, screw it. I'll pay $40 for shipping, and I'll have them on Thursday. So we will know soon enough if they fit the car or not. And if they do, I'll go through the rest of the car, change the fluids, clean it up, because it's been sitting for like a year, and uh, that'll be what gets driven to Texas. Cool. So, Or maybe I'll just stop being a pansy and drive to Sapporo, but probably not. So, uh, yeah, tripod joints... According to Wikipedia, and this makes sense because this is the way I see them all the time, they're used on the inboard side. Oh, 100%. Because they have less travel. Yeah. They have less movement, less than, movement. The, than the other type of joints. But if you look at the picture I sent you earlier of the two t- uh, two axles, you can see the difference. The one on the bottom is the correct one. They're slightly larger. So, so I believe the yeah the outer ones are typically called, the correct name is a Rezepa joint. Rezepa? Rezepa. Interesting. There's I've never like gotten that into it before. I've always just ordered the part, put it in the car, and called it a day. <laughs> I need the CV joint. I don't need to know what each piece of it's called. Well, I like a um, a uh, oh the flex disc. What is the funky name for the flex disc? The Italian name a guibo. I love the guibo joint. Oh, that's my favorite yeah, like car a, part. Like, like a rubber mounted isolator, like a yeah, drive shaft yeah. isolator. Yeah. Because the engineer name was Guibo. Is that what it was? Yep. Those are common in like BMWs, aren't they? It's a flex disc, but they call it yeah. a Guibo in BMW. But I was saying BMW people call them Guibos. A rag joint would yep. be the same. That's what they call it on old American cars. Because mm-hmm. it was literally them. made out of like rags. While listening to their ragtime music. <laughs> no. It's, it's like <laughs> when you look at one. I'm going to work on my 44 and put a rag, rag joint and work on listening to ragtime music. Um, yeah. Cool. But anyway, so that's my quick story about axles and potential plans in the near future for driving one car or the other. Oh, here's another neat uh, fact. Uh, another name for a CV joint, homokinetic. Hmm. That's interesting. Yep. You so. should go to the parts store and order a homokinetic joint. <laughs> Just use all the weird names <laughs> for it. <laughs> a turbo encabulator. Yeah. I have a... Car, I need a homokinetic joint, and I also need the guibo that goes in the end of it. Yeah. That um, would confuse everybody. My biggest argument over parts once was I had a gentleman who called me when I was probably 19, and I worked at a parts place, 
and he asked me for a stepper motor. Yep. I didn't know what it was. So a throttle body? Not a throttle body. What is it for then? It was the um It's just an actuator motor. It just Yeah, exactly what but, it is. But uh like an idle air control motor. There you go, that's the one IAC. It was an IAC. That's a stepper motor. Stepper motor, yeah. Yeah. But I'd never heard it called that before. A 19-year-old me didn't know what it was. And that guy went up one side and down the other, yelling at me about how I was an idiot and how he couldn't sure. get the part for me. And it's like, whatever. It's literally not called that in the catalog. I've never dealt with it before. I can get you an idle air control motor. Yeah, I eventually you get to a point when you're dealing with enough parts, people ask for one thing and you just translate in your head what it's actually called. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like an escutcheon? Escutcheon is like a... Like escutcheon. 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 It's the cover over like a door handle. Yeah. It's or a, a door lock. It's a, uh, that's the other thing. So in like a Japanese... Es- escutcheon. Escutcheon. Yeah, yeah, in a Japanese parts catalog, they're very proper with the names. Mm-hmm. So it'll be, it'll say like escutcheon on it, and nobody knows what the hell that is. Yeah. Well, so... The reason I know what those are is because... Or like a garnish. That's just a piece of trim. Yeah. Um... In the 80s, like a Cadillac, the Cadillac crest would slide open mm-hmm. to put your key in the trunk. Yeah. And they called that an escutcheon. And my mom, all through the 80s, had an 82 Cadillac. Yeah. And uh, I remember my dad calling it that, so. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm blanking on them off the top of my head right now. But just different ones. Like a drip rail mm-hmm. on a modern car. Yeah, they don't have drip rails. It's not really it's a drip a, rail. It's, it's a roof molding. It's a roof molding. But some people still call them drip rails. Or sometimes in the catalog, this will be called drip rails. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Or like a, uh, in a parts catalog, like we, we talked about this actually one day in the car. In your body parts catalog, list stuff differently than the parts catalog of the dealership. Oh, yeah, super. So nice. like when you call me for stuff, you're trying to ask me for stuff, and I'm looking for it, and it'll be in totally different places. Mm-hmm. So like you're looking for like... Underbody shields, those in the catalog would be under like loose panel, but they show in your system like a radiator support. Yeah, yeah, and like air guides that go around the radiator are in like loose panel. They're not in the radiator. Then the radiator section in my catalog. section. Yeah, yeah, it's it. So that it's like little things you have to learn like that mm-hmm. to navigate the catalog. Also, the even the crash catalogs are different by manufacturer of the catalog yeah so i use a system called uh ccc1 and it's different from somebody who uses a system called autotex because mm-hmm. mine breaks it down very far so i have like a front bumper section and a fender section and a hood section whereas autotex has front panels mm-hmm. and they're all in one section yeah so and actually most of the parts catalog systems now are made by the same company in germany i forget the name of the company Mitchell Reynolds. Nope. No. No. But like the Audi Volkswagen one was not that far off from the the Etka. Yeah, Etka. It's it's actually that's the company. Oh, ETKA. Yeah, it's not that far off from uh, the Mitsubishi one because that was made by uh, a German company. The new version, the ASA caps. It says that Etka is just the Volkswagen one. All right. Well, there's there's a company that makes it, and I'm blanking on the company because I haven't worked in one of these systems in a while. But it's a German company that does most of them. And like I remember the sometimes you get a super like a car that was like weeks old, like it just came off the boat. Oh, I still have it. And you'd you'd put the VIN in and it wouldn't come up. I still have it. You'd have to decode it because 
after and the the dealer rep would tell us he's like yeah well after they they have like downloads like every so many weeks or whatever they download all the vins from the factory and then they ship them over to the catalog system and then they update it mm-hmm. and then you get your catalog updates it used to be on discs which was super annoying mm-hmm. now it's at least it's like almost daily we still have discs for our paint guides super annoying so when you paint a car, obviously every car has different cost associated with the paint on the car yep. based on what tints and what colors go into it. Yep. And our paint guide still comes on a DVD-ROM every month. So you put the exact paint time on the vehicle into that guide. You put the you put the year manufacturer, the manufacturer, and their color code, and then how many hours of paint time are on the estimate. Now you have to mix the paint in-house? Yes. Well, you have to because it's variances. You could have two 2018 Toyota Corollas. Painted and a different take the fender off one times, and put it in the yeah. other, and you can see a little a slight variation in the, in the color. So it has to be mixed in house because you can't buy a paint mixed elsewhere. And all right, how does um? It. Here's a good question. How does how does the guy match it to the paint that's on the car? Is it some sort of you just do it by eye, or you does have, he do? You have a guide. Um, most shops do it this way. <laughs> you have a guide that tells you exactly how much of each base and tint to put together to make the color. You put it on a, a basically a mixing stick. Um, and you put a little card at the end of the mixing stick, and just it's called a spray out card. Yeah. Just you know spray it out, put the clear over it, put it next to the panel, and then we have this little sun sun gun they call it. So which yeah, it's calculated for sunlight, which, which replicates sunlight. Yep. And you put it against the car, and you can see how off the color is. And then a good painter knows how to modify that to bring it close enough for what we call a blendable match. Because generally we blend into, and all body shops do this, yep. they blend into the adjacent panels in order to make the color. If there is any variance, there won't be a hard edge from a door to a fender. Yeah, because that's, especially like bumper covers, you see it. Bumper covers, you see it because you're painting over a plastic instead of over a metal. So it just, it, it works differently. <laughs> bumper covers are going to be different from the factory when you look at them. Um, but we blend out, feather the paint into the adjacent panel and then re-clear the adjacent panel as well. There is a piece of equipment called a color eye. It's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Most shops don't have one on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the paint rep will have one. And if you're having a hard time matching a color, they bring this machine in called the color eye, and they literally put it on a flat panel on the car, and it formulates the exact formula of that paint by some kind of electronic wizardry that I don't know. <laughs> it takes, like multiple pictures from multiple angles to get the amount of metal flake and all that stuff and calculates like exactly how to make it magnifies it or something. I, I don't know how it works. Hmm. I don't, I'm not the painter. <laughs> I know, I know what I know, but I don't know everything. No, that's interesting. So, and then the we difference, rarely with- have to do that. There's a, a few manufacturers that have some tough to match colors. A lot of times it's some of the, some of the problems comes from a lot of times a, one color is more transparent than another, so it's actually your base color that affects the top coat more. Yeah. Um, so that's another issue you have to deal with. What's the hardest color to blend, or hardest types of colors? It's hard. To is say. it metallics or is it the new like sort of solid pastel yeah. type colors that they have now? Your car sucked. Stephanie's car. Yeah. The, the blue, the khaki <laughs> yeah. gray. Yeah, we painted that a couple of times because I wasn't happy with it. A because it was your car, and B because I wasn't happy with it. Yeah. Um, cause it's that pastel blue, they call it cool gray khaki. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though it's like a Robin's egg blue, that was tough to do. 
Um, metallics are generally harder because it all depends on how the metallic lies. Yeah. Um, it's going to totally change the color if the metallic falls a different direction on one panel than another. The hardest car I've had to paint in recent memory, I don't remember the exact code, it's a gray Mazda color. Uh, and the problem with it is is that you make this exact color and everything looks perfect. And then you put the clear over it and it totally transformed the color. Huh. The metallic in the factory paint was so fine and so small that we just couldn't replicate it with the stuff that we had. We had to get it specially made from the manufacturer. Oh. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I know, like, in model car paints, they'll use smaller flake. Yeah, to replicate a smaller car. Yeah. Huh. But, yeah, no, I... I it bothers me more than some people, color on cars. Yeah. I, I could paint two bumpers totally different colors and put them on a car, and most customers wouldn't care. Um, I just don't like doing that. So what's the difference with uh, plastic bumpers... What makes that? I don't know hard to match. what the material is. It because you have to is. add the flex to it? You don't really use flex anymore. No, no. It's. I mean, yeah, insurance companies. We use flex. Please keep paying for it in every car we do, but we cover on. Um, it's just something to do with how the the product is prepped. You know, you have you have a softer material, and the primer coats and everything are going to sit differently on it. And every coat underneath the paint is going to affect how the paint looks. And then everything's water based now. Not everything, but it's going that way. We're water based. Um, the funny thing about that is that even though all these shops are quote-unquote green and we're spraying a water-based, quote-unquote again, non-toxic material, yeah, um, clear coat is still solvent-based. So it completely negates and there it's the like whole a, process. And there it's a two-part clear with yeah, hardener? Yeah, it's, it's a hardener in it, yep. And there's huh. different hardeners for different temperatures and different humidities, and huh. there's fast hardeners, so it's actually, slow hardeners. There's a, there's a ton of science to paint a car. It's not and, easy, and at that's all. why it's so expensive. It's very expensive. When everybody's like, "Oh, I'll just get my car painted for like five hundred bucks," it's like, "Well, yeah, you can." When yeah, <laughs> when you go to a shop and they do that, they yeah. just they literally just spray. Honestly, the general the general rule for most quality, average quality insurance work body shops is five hundred dollars a panel to repair and paint a panel. That's that's a rule. That of makes thumb. sense. Yeah, five hundred bucks a panel. Yeah, you have a fender and door. It's gonna be a grand. Yeah, and then, I mean, and that's gonna obviously change based on oh, that car has got double sided tape moldings that rip when you take them off, and you had to buy a hundred and fifty dollar molding as well, and mm. it's got an emblem on the door, and I got to buy a seventy five dollar emblem, and yeah. people are very shocked when they find out what it costs to repair a oh, car. Yeah. But that's also why your car insurance is multiple thousands of dollars a year yeah. because. You know, somebody keys one side of your car, they're paying us three grand to fix it. Yeah. And so. that's why people do fraud like that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. That could be a whole episode, but <laughs> that's a, a short little synopsis. No, of, that, was, that was good. And, and the technology changes every day. Because I know so, uh, there's a lot of people that are interested in that. So, I mean, when, when you, get, you get down to it, some of these paint jobs, a, a simple paint job and a simple color for an overall car. I could easily have three to four thousand dollars material on the car, not counting labor, not counting just a paint job. Why does it cost so much? Yeah, well, that's why. Yeah, I get some Craig Craig's. Don't tell me. Craig 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 Craig's. Don't tell me. Craig Craig's. Don't tell me. Yeah, let's get into that. I get. I say I pulled a couple up as well. We talked about doing it. All right, you ready? I'm going to start with one. So I think we're going to do this. We tried it the other way. Yeah, we're going to go back to our original way, but we're going to do. You're going to do a description, and then if I don't get it. We'll do yes, in no. In some kind of a timely manner, we'll do a... You want to do two minutes again? Yeah. After I read it? Sure. All right. Yeah, we'll do a yes, no, like a... What was that game we had as kids? Guess who? Yeah. Is the man wearing a hat? 
Um, well, I don't want alarm. I want stopwatch. Yes. Okay. Your alarm goes uh, off every two minutes. <laughs> Listeners would get annoyed. All right. Here we go. One ton, rare, two-wheel drive, full four doors, long bed, low mileage, 454 Chevy Blig Block. Oh, it's a Chevy, so you already blew it. All right. TH400. Yeah, Turbo 400 emission. Um, all right. Or it could be a GMC. What do you think it is? So is it a late 70s, 78 or so GMC, 2500? No. No, okay. Hmm. That's the whole description. Yep. What region of the country did you find your cars from? Uh, well, this one was from Anchorage. Alaska? Yep. Does that play into my the guessing here or I don't not? Know. <laughs> yes, no questions. Um, is it a GM product? Yes. Okay. And it's obviously a pickup truck, you said long bed. Yes. Is it a Silverado? No. What? It's not a Silverado. It doesn't say Silverado in the ad, so I'm going off the ad. Is it 70s? No. Is it later than 70s? No. So it's not a Silverado? No. It's also not a car that came factory four doors. Somebody made this a four door. Okay. So that's going to open us up to everything. Is it like a 53 Chevy pickup on a 1986 Chevy pickup frame? No. Keep going with the uh, decades. 60s? No. 50s? No. 20s? No. 30s? No. 40s? No. Wait. Go higher. Newer. I said, is it 70s? Yeah, it's no. And then I said, is it newer than 70s? And you said no. Oh, I didn't hear that part. So you completely threw me off. Yes, so it's newer than 70s. So it's 80s, so it could be a Silverado. Um, You know it's a Chevy. I know it's a Chevy. It's from the 80s. It's got to be a Silverado because that's all they had. And it's a four-door Chevy pickup. Yep. How am I getting this wrong? I don't know. It's a a Chevy pickup truck. It's a one-ton. One-ton Chevy pickup truck with four doors. There's a model, though. Top kick. You're so close. All right. Cheyenne. I'll give it to you. Uh, C20. Okay. That's all all it is in the ad. It's a four-door red C20. Do you know what a C20 is? No. Do you know what a K20 is? No. Okay. So 20 is the range of truck. So that's your one ton. Yeah. Okay. C means two-wheel drive. K means four-wheel drive. Ah. So a K10 is a 1500. Oh, that makes sense now. A K10 is a 1500 four-wheel drive. A C10 is a 1500 two-wheel drive. A K20 is a 2500. This thing's pretty cool. It's it, very cool. It's a factory but four-door, I, I pretty, think. I pretty much, yeah, because well, it's 80s, it is. Yeah. But when you were talking about it was pre-70s, I was like, well, in a factory four-door, the only, the only pre-70s factory four-doors I can think of are Dodges. I don't, didn't think that anybody else made one factory. I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody did. And I definitely don't think Chevy did. They did a much heavier duty four door like a 4500 or 5500 series truck but not a small truck all right i'll just keep going with mine all right cool uh this one you might be able Listen to get to my questions this time so you can get so i can get it, get it right all right <clears throat> this one might be a shoe in uh 1500 rebuilt 454 but another chevy product 700 r4 still a chevy product dual ac blows cold dual ac so the suburban Okay. What year? Uh, I, <laughs> excellent. 87. Nope. Am I in the right decade? Nope. Is it a barn door in the back, or is it like ambulance style doors? It's got... 
Uh, barn doors. So ambulance style barn doors. Yep. Uh, sixty-five. Nope. Am I in the right decade now? Nope. Damn it! It's nineties. Yeah. Ninety-two. Nope. This is this is ridiculous. I'm trying to guess the year. I had to get the freaking truck. In my brain, I'm picturing a black and gray late square body, like '91. It's a '90. It's 90. a GMC okay. suburban yeah. square body. This one's from Florida. Is it black and gray? No, silver on uh, red. Oh, okay. Another common combination. Yeah, it's a pretty truck. Yeah, it's a cool truck. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, I drive the hell out of that. It's a big block with dual AC. I was like, yeah, that's Captain suburban. Three roll yeah. power steering. Yeah, it's cool. You actually wouldn't drive the hell out of it because you couldn't afford to drive the hell out of it. No, I probably couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, it probably also says eight miles per gallon. All right. Next one. Okay, let's get off the Chevy trucks here. Four-door hot rod sleeper car. Nova. Let me finish. Okay. 350 small block Chevy. Nova. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Complete hydraulic roller, edible block, top end, 700R4. Uh... 10-inch torque converter, 342 Grand National Posse, 10-bolt rear. Oh, okay. Malibu. Uh, you are close. It's pretty cool. Ho- hooker headers, dual flow masters, manual cutouts, Hotchkiss uh, suspension, uh, old rally wheels, Nardi steering wheel. So cutlass. With a Nardi in it? That's baller. Yeah, it's cutlass. Four-door cutlass. A four-door colors? What is that, 78? 85. Oh, it's 85 colors, so it's a later model one. Yeah. So it's a four-door G-Y. I hate to see that one. This one's pretty cool. So do you watch Hot Rod Garage? No. On YouTube? That's pretty badass. It's a pretty cool car. Yeah. I'd also drive that. Yeah, I would do. Um, listeners may or may not know my first car was an 85 Cutlass. Yep. Supreme. Two-door, though. The Coupe. This thing's pricey at 11.5, but it sounds like it's... Uh... With the equipment that's in it is yeah. probably why it's expensive. The, ba- the base yeah. car itself is not that expensive, but what's in it that makes it expensive? So I might have made this too easy, but maybe it's more fun. No, oh, it's all right. One, one you're, last you're one. Rate, for you're rating my wheelhouse of weird GM stuff. So. Yeah. Um, other, than, other than the Mitsubishi and Volkswagen stuff, weird GM AD stuff would be my next. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Car is mostly stock. Has stainless steel shorty headers. Aftermarket mufflers was repainted at some point in its life with a nice base clear emerald green. Ooh, green. Uh, let's see. Blah blah blah. It was originally an automatic. Bought wrecked car with rebuilt T5 and transferred all the required parts over. T5. Yep. Uh, torque boxes and struts are rust free. Torque boxes. Yep. Okay. Some light rust coming through the rear hatch. AC blows cold. Heat is hot. Has sunroof, grooves, power windows, block seat, mirrors. New parts added in the last uh, one and a half years. So front rear shocks, rear quad shocks. That's a big... Mm-hmm. I know this car is already. Yeah. Would you like me to say it? Sure. It's a Vox body. Yep. Emerald green. Is yep. it a factory emerald green? So it would be a 91? 92. 92. Pretty car. That is a pretty car. Does it have a white interior or a gray interior? Gray. Nice. It's a, yeah, it's a very nice looking car, actually. I like it a lot. It's got the silver ponies. Yeah, that's nice. Alex, uh, hatchback. When you said when you said strut box, there it was. Yeah, I get that giveaway. Torque boxes. Yeah. Torque box. Sorry. Yeah. I love an Alex hatchback. I love an Alex notchback. I also like a hatchback. I, like the I prefer the notch. On ponies, not chrome ponies. I like silver ponies. I like ten holes. I don't like the ten holes. 
They look like turbo wheels a little bit. No. I love just a clean, simple pony wheel. Because yeah. it's just a five spoke. Alright, so those were pretty easy. Yeah, I feel I feel bad now. Oh, you get really hard ones for me? I don't think you gotta get any of them. <laughs> That's a pattern. I never get them. I'm really bad at this game. Um well if you start with this one. I don't know like esoteric car shit. This is not esoteric at all. You do know esoteric car shit. You 100% know esoteric car shit. But you didn't give me esoteric cars. You gave me an old Cutlass, two square bodies, and a Fox body. Yeah, they were cool. I yeah. I try to get away from, like, because we always talk about Japanese stuff, so we appreciate a lot of different stuff. So. I have four cars here. All right. One of them is Japanese. Okay. Only one. All right. This is not it. First clue. Okay. This stunning new blank was built to exacting specifications as a street-legal Purpose-built race car for road racing by Levy Racing in 2017. This car weighs 2,300 pounds with an incredible power-to-weight ratio and dare to be unique at every race event worldwide. Over 120 grand spent on this incredible build. Oh, boy. Yes. The original, this, the Blank project actually began in autumn of 1963 when Blank, director of special projects, and blank decided they wanted to race a blank. Is this a Corvair? Nope. Is it a Corvette? Nope. This stunning new. New? Blank. New car. But started in 1963? The particular vehicle was designed in 1963. Is this a Cobra? Very close. Uh... So is is an AC? No, you're on the right track with Cobra. So I can say now the the blank project actually began in autumn of '63 when Carol Shelby asked his director of special projects, Pete Brock, if he could design a blank for the Cobra. Is it a coupe body? Yeah, it's a Cobra coupe. Yeah, it's a factor five car. Oh, all right. See, look at that. You got it. Congratulations, Andrew. Um, it's very cool. It's ninety five thousand dollars. <laughs> Probably the most expensive car we've ever had. A great, great. Don't tell me. Uh, it's also in golf colors, and they mm. do not work on the car. Nope. It is not good. Nope. It's a great-looking car otherwise, though. I'd drive it for sure. All right. Let's go... What did it have for an engine? I just, just exited a, out. I just a basic 5-liter, probably? No, I think it was a big block. Like a 427? Yeah, something or Okay. I'm going to start you with this one. Mm-hmm. Um... It's a built vehicle. Okay. Uh, the price of said vehicle is $12,000. Okay. There aren't very many of these that All would right. sell for $12,000. Okay. Blank, blank, overland built, $12,000. This blank, blank is an older build, but is very well sorted. It needs nothing to go run on most trails in Moab or any other location and drive there and back with the AC on. Hmm. New front wheel bearings, Atlas transfer case, twin stick. Um, let's see what else to say about the vehicle. And it's not a Jeep. I did not say it was a Jeep or not. You were making wild assumptions, sir. Is it like a CJ7? It is not. Is it like a Cherokee Sport? What's a Cherokee Sport? Not the Grand Cherokee. Okay, so you're right. It is a $12,000 yeah. 1991 Cherokee. Oh. Yes. Because they didn't have Grand Cherokees in 1991. 
Sure they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, sure they did. But I don't think they this, this wasn't a sport, it was just Cherokee. Oh, they didn't call them, they differentiated them oh, later? Get, get your brain out of Montero world. No, they definitely had <laughs> Cherokee sports. They did, for sure. I remember... It you, wasn't, it didn't mean small versus big, it was a trim level on the Cherokee. I specifically, no, it was small versus big. Yes, it was. A regular Cherokee sport was a square one. The later Grand Cherokee was the more rounded one. They weren't on all sports, though. You could get a Cherokee that was a different trim package. Sport was a trim package. Okay. I just remember you get those weird purple ones with, yep. like, purple teal badges. Yep. You could also get Grand Cherokee in that same combination. Really? So, as an Eagle Talon TSI previous owner and a Conquest TSI current owner, and a person whose Instagram screen name is TSI, um, they released a Jeep Grand Cherokee with either purple or aqua badges, and those purple or aqua badges said Grand Cherokee TSI. Yep. Which doesn't make much sense. Nope. Because there's no turbo in that car. Tuned sport injection. Tuned. Yeah, whatever. It was turbo. Um, yeah, so uh, you're, uh, again, Mopar or no car. Listen, I, I have lots of knowledge of lots of cars. A lot of them are Mopars. Okay, this is my favorite one. All right. All right. Blank, blank, 20 grand. Information about the blank, blank. Original owner, Terry Anderson, was a drag okay. racer in the 60s. Okay. And then transitioned to desert racing for Mickey Thompson in Southern California. All right. Attending a race... At the Los Angeles Coliseum in 1988, this is he decided to build, it is not, another race car to compete in stadium racing. This would be a special racing build for Mickey Thompson's off-road championship Grand Prix for stadium racing in Southern California. Ooh. At the time, no blanks were participating in stadium truck racing. Hmm. The build. Terry met the blank division racing representative, John Erickson, at SEMA while in Las Vegas in November of 88. Terry and John struck a deal, and they decided to become sponsors to build his races and to follow. Original Terry and Blank designed the engine to sit behind the driver's seat. This is important to create a mid-engine car for balance, with more rate over the rear end. Ooh, interesting. A lot of unimportant information here about the differentials and ring gears and yada yada yada. Is this a... Is this like a 240Z that was converted to, like, desert racing or something? It is not. It's Japanese, though. It is not. It's Let, not Japanese? It's not Japanese. Let me give you a couple of clues. I thought you had one Japanese vehicle. I did. I have one more after this. We oh. can get to it. It'll get to it. It's fine. Um, this was a factory-backed project. Okay. So they started with a brand spanking new car. Okay. Um, it started in 88. The car is actually two years newer than that. But it's a factory-backed vehicle. Is this an AMC Eagle? In 1988? What world are you in? I don't know. Not, it's no wonder you don't get this game very good. <laughs> it's not like a... It's not like a... Well, it's not like a, a... It's not a Dodge or a Chevy. It's not a Dodge or a Chevy. Jeep. It's not a Jeep. The engine was furnished by Blank, and Blank Motor Division sent a Super Duty cylinder block to put in the car. This is a Pontiac? You're on the right track now. <laughs> Once the engine was received, it was sent to Shutter Engineering, 
blah 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 blah. Oh, what would Pontiac have back then? Like a to turn into a stadium racing truck. What? What the heck would Pontiac have back? Then? Like a Trans Am? Nope. To speed things up and save money, we used a '72 Chevy pickup frame and suspension. The chassis was, was like a Biscayne set... or something. Uh, not a Biscayne. No. A, um... The chassis was then set in the frame of the pickup with like... shocks from Fox Racing. The Catalina. We're in the '80s, man. They had Catalinas back then. Not late 80s, they did not. What was the, the Capri Space thing? Uh, Bonneville. Bonneville. Or Parisian. All right. Yeah. Um, Le Mans. Nope. It's a very obvious one. What, what else does Pontiac have? The trial race is GTO? 1990. Nope. No GTOs in 1990. Oh, 1980? 1990? The car, the car is a 90. Yeah. This is a Trans Am? It's not a Trans Am. As I said last time you asked for it was a Trans Am. Whoa. This is my favorite thing ever. What on earth did Pontiac have back then that would fit? On a Chevy truck frame? <laughs> yeah. I want this thing so bad. That wasn't... So it's a full-size car. I mean, define full-size. Well, what was their full-size car back then? It would have been the, the Bonneville. Okay, go a little bit smaller than full-size. A Le Mans? It's one of your a most Tempest? hated cars of all time. Oh, they had a Pontiac version of an El Camino? No, not that. <laughs> not that hated. I don't know. They raced him in NASCAR, man. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, what were they? Grand Prix? Yes. It's oh. a 1990 Pontiac Grand Prix Stadium Super Truck. So, like, the rear-wheel drive Grand Prix? No, it was a front-wheel drive Grand oh, Prix. Oh, front-wheel drive. <laughs> yes. What? That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to send you the link to this thing, because I want it way more than I should. Oh, you should post that to the Facebook page. Yeah, I probably should. It's pretty good. That thing is wild. Yeah, I just sent you the link right now. Yeah, it's a 1990 Pontiac Grand Prix Stadium Super Truck. So this would have competed in the races that had, like, Ivan Ironman Stewart's Toyota and, like, the Ford Ranger factory-backed motorsport, Ford Motorsport Ranger, and all those cool <laughs> trucks that we used to play in video games. And this one guy's like, we're going to use a Grand Prix. <laughs> weird. Super weird. Yeah, but that's all. I think it's enough for tonight. I think everybody's had enough fun. Oh, that thing is dumb looking. <laughs> it looks like a Lemons car today. Yeah, but that's a, that's a factory-backed Racing project. It's <laughs> so stupid. I love it so, so much. So stupid. I love it so much. Well, as we all know, I'm moving to Arizona very, very shortly, in a few months, right? Yeah. What would a better Arizona vehicle be to blast through the desert than a jacked up 1990, 1990 Pontiac Grand Prix? Oh, just about anything. With a big V8 in the back. Yeah, just about anything. No. <laughs> nope. Nope. A, a Beetle? Nope. That's the one right there. If it wasn't twenty grand, I'd be sending an email. All right. As always, follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast, on Instagram, Auto Off Topic. Follow me on Instagram, TSI. Nope. Ah, wow, one beer. Yeah, I'm tired. Me, Race and Anger, on Instagram. Follow Brad. TSISS350. We were talking about it so much, I had it in my brain. Quick programming note, there will not be an episode next week. We'll be back on the week of the 18th of yes. February. Um, as always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Analog and...